Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We've been talking about church. I'm going to just do a very, very brief recap just on some of the key points, just so that we all kind of catch with the, with the train of thought, because what I'm sharing today fits in with the context of it. When Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he had a, sp- a specific idea in mind when he used the word church. He was not thinking of a gathering like this. Jesus said, did, did not say, I have come that you may have meetings and have them more abundantly. He said, I've come that you may have life and have them more abundantly. And very often when we think church, we think of meetings. We think of when people come together. And that's a part of it, but it's a very small part. The word Jesus used was the word, the word ecclesia. And the meaning of that word is the, those who are called out from the general assembly, from, from the, 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 the majority, those who are called out and are summoned for assembly for governmental reasons. We looked at how... In, in those times, especially with the Roman understanding, what they call the convent, con, conventum, is when any two Roman people of any kind of authority got together anywhere in the world, they would consider that to be Rome, like a mini Rome. And the power and the authority of Caesar would be present there. And that is very much, that Jesus is drawing in from that meaning and that understanding that is associated with this word ecclesia. And you can see so in Matthew 18, 20, where he says, wherever two or more of you are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. My kingdom, my authority, my power is there. It's available, and I desire to make it influential, felt within your gathering, and wherever it is that you are and wherever it is that you go. Unlike worldly governments, we said, that enforce rules, practices, behaviors, laws upon people, the kingdom of of God and His government works differently, whereas instead of trying to change us from the outside and do simple behavioral adaptation or modification, God works within the heart to literally change who we are. We become new creations. We become born again in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And this was prophesied right through the Old Testament. We looked at how the story from the very beginning was that God desired to be with His people. We messed that all up through sin and rebellion, trying to make a way for ourselves, and God trying to reintroduce Himself to creation and to His humanity ever since then. And the prophets would say, uh, Hebrews speaks of, of a prophecy that Ezekiel made, In Hebrews 8 verse 10 where he says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel in those days. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so this new law, this law of love as we look at the ministry of Jesus is something that changes us from the inside. It's something that changes our perspective when I look at the people around me. I'm now not governed by just a set of of outward observances. I am now governed by a deep and sincere love for them, given to me by God, that enables me to see the value in, in each and every single one, that enables me to respect and to treat as precious in the eyes of God every single other person in creation. 
And this is the essence and the very nature of the kingdom of God and how it begins to work in and through us. God is still in the business of reintroducing His creation back to Himself. And His way of doing this is through His ecclesia, His church, the ones who are called out from the world to become the very embodiment of His love so that through them He can minister His love, His healing grace, His mercy into a dying and a lost and a hurting world. It is a beautiful story. It is a love story. And it's a story that you and I have an active role in playing. There's a few things that God is going to do to us when we become, or do with us when we become part of the body of Christ. The first one we looked at last week, that was sanctification. It's that setting apart. He changes the way we think. He changes the way we believe and we behave. Uh, We shared last week how so much of what we see in church today exists as a co-culture. We call ourselves something different, but we act and we behave and we think exactly the same as the rest of the world does. It's shown in the way we treat each other. You know, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he says to them, what is this that I'm hearing that you guys are taking one another to court? Isn't it better to suffer loss for the sake of relationship than to drag these things out before the world? Because he's saying, your witness, your you're supposed to be looking different and valuing different things. How is it that this is going on and you, you're doing things exactly the way the world does? It's reflected in our finance, what we do with our finances and how we manage our finances. It, it's, it's, it's shown in how we manage our time and what we value. But most of all, most tangibly, it's shown in how we love, how we put others first, how we deliberately choose to go the extra mile, to get underneath and push up and help others. That makes us different. And Paul writes to the church in in Rome, and he says to them, Romans 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to this world and look like this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. We spoke about that last week and how the greatest aid in effective sanctification, this idea of, of, of transformation, coming out of the world's way of thinking that is so natural to us because we were all a part of the world and into the new kingdom of God way of thinking and doing things is through the principle of putting first things first. Setting God as my priority. Matthew 16, uh, Matthew 6.33. If you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these other things that the world is so preoccupied with will be added to you. And that was really where, that's where we've gotten to. This idea of understanding what church is, understanding how that affects me as an individual, what's expected of me, that there's a journey and a trajectory that I am now on that was different from the trajectory I was on before, where I was seeking my own benefit, my own gain, my own blessing for my own means and motives. I am now aimed in a completely different direction to know and to see the kingdom of God, to experience His nearness with me to be the embodiment of His love so that I can share that with others. And the wonderful thing about being a part of this body that we call the church is that God doesn't call us to do this work of sanctification by ourselves, and He doesn't call us to live this life in isolation. He sets us in a body. So the second thing that God does. And it's important we understand this and the significance of this because I think a few, many people take this very lightly. 
the significance of being placed into a family. Psalm 68 verse 6 says, God sets the solitary in families. Say sets. That is a deliberate placement. Now, what does family mean to you? That's kind of a dangerous question today. Because unfortunately, so many families in our world today, inside and outside of the church, are broken. They are filled with pain. They are scarred and marred with manipulation, with mistrust, with division, with strife. But when God says, I'm going to set you in a family, He has a beautiful picture in mind. When God says family, He's talking about things like unconditional love. Unconditional love. I am very blessed to grow up in a family where unconditional love was all I've ever known my whole entire life. I've messed up. I've done some stupid things. And yet I'm cocooned in something called unconditional love, knowing that no matter how foolish I get, there's a place for me, a place of belonging and safety. Belonging. I know to who I belong. I know who my family is. We love getting together as family because there's such rich and warm love. Now, I understand that's not everybody's experience. It breaks my heart, but even more than that, it breaks God's heart. Family should be a place where, number one, we know that we are loved and valued for who we are as we are. It's a place of belonging and safety. There is safety in family. You're not all alone. Family is a place of structure. We don't like to think about that too much, but there's structure in family. God set a father and a mother. There's brothers and sisters. And each one has a role and a responsibility given to them by God. There's provision in a home. Provision. Daily bread. Basic needs. Help for tomorrow. And also... There's chores in a home. There's roles and responsibilities. Everybody has a part to play. The chores are not always that fun, right? But when everybody does their chores, it's amazing how beautiful and efficient a house can run. What a glorious atmosphere can be created when everybody just does their part, little bit, little bit. It's not all settled on one person. When everyone carries the load, when everyone is being helpful, home can be like heaven on earth, and it really should be. It should be a picture of heaven on earth. Home is also a place of character development. And normally, my idea and my thinking of this is, there are young children whose character needs to be shaped and molded into the image of Christ. And that is right. But on my journey of parenthood, I've learned along the way just how much those little beings shape my character. Now, they don't do it on purpose, which is quite annoying because I try to do it on purpose and it doesn't always work. They just be them and I'm confronted with myself. But this is family. That's what it means to be part of a family. You know, the other thing with family is that we rub up against one another. For character to be developed and formed, that means that it is not whole and complete already. That means that I have rough edges that others need to deal with and I need to deal with the rough edges of those around me. And it is in that dealing that we are shaped, that we are grounded, 
ground down, that we are molded more and more into the likeness. It is in that atmosphere that we learn what love truly looks like. You see, when God gave me my wife, He gave me the greatest instrument of death in my life. It's a gift because... You can see the sisters, they're getting together now. I'm going to get lectured after the service today. Likewise, I am the greatest instrument of death in her life. And that's why I am a gift to God, to her. And she is a gift to God, to me, from God to me. Because that old man likes to come alive. He likes to rear his selfish head. He likes to have his own agenda. He likes to be thought of as important. He likes to be stroked and told how wonderful he is. He doesn't like doing the chores. But the journey of character development is one in which that man dies where that man is introduced to the cross daily, where that man takes on a new likeness of Jesus every single day. So yes, my lover, you are a gift to me. Let me read to you some more verses that the Bible speaks of about being planted in a family. Psalm 92, 13 to 14 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. A plant that keeps being moved is not going to flourish. It's going to keep wilting, trying to recover, and just as it comes to a place where it might be ready, it moves again, and that's the experience of many people within church life. They're not planted in a family where they can throw deep roots, where they can deal with the wind that comes their way, where they can deal with the shade that is thrown at them by by the trees around them. We all know what that means, right? And they can learn how to grow and, and in the place where God plants them. They shall still bear fruit in old age, and they shall be fresh and flourishing. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Let me read you another verse from the New Testament this time, where Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 18. He says, now God has set, and then we see that word again, set the members, each one of them. So in other words, uniquely, purposefully, individually, God has set every member, each one of them, in the body, just as He pleased. So the first thing we need to understand here is, when God is placing me in the body, it's not as I please. It is as He pleases. You see, if it's as I please, then I will only stick around as long as it is convenient or expedient for me. But as soon as my character is threatened, as soon as, as I feel uncomfortable, I'll just go somewhere else because I'll, I'll go where I'm comfortable. Folks, we all gravitate towards our own comfort. Amen? But we don't grow in comfortable places. And God wants you to be planted in a place where you can grow. That means you're going to have some things to deal with. That means you're going to be upset. You're going to have opportunities for offense. You're going to have those moments when your brothers and sisters are not doing their chores and you've got to pick up the slack. You're going to have those moments where you've got brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers who, because of the things they are dealing with, their own weaknesses, say and do things that are hurtful. Because we all sometimes function out of our brokenness. It's in those places that we grow. Now, if, if we know and understand that God has set us in a place, and we know the place that God has set us, that knowledge alone unlocks tremendous grace to deal with the situations that we are faced with. 
I'm uncomfortable, but I know that I'm where God wants me to be, and I can deal with this. Now, let me just read to you. I was so blown away. I've never done this before, except for preparing for this message this morning. Looked at the definition of what it means to be set. It means to put or bring something or someone in a particular place. To put or place like a hen on an egg or an egg under a hen. So there's a reason for this placement. It's to place in some relation to something or someone. So it's together with. It's in connection to. It is to put the proper or desired order or condition for use. My toaster is out of order when it's in the bathtub. Not conditioned to function there. To adjust and to control for performance. So in other words, I set my watch. I adjust it for proper performance so that it is uh, synchronized to the right time. God will put you into a place to perform something in you or for you to perform and do, be who you are. And it is also to establish for others to follow. We set people as an example. We set people in authority. Now, this idea is both, is both beautiful, but it is loaded. It is so powerful. And like we said, God is the one who sets and places us in his body on purpose for a purpose. There's a purpose in this. And he does so according to the plans and purposes for us as individuals, as well as for whatever spiritual family he has planted you in. It's for both. It's for the benefit of both. And we're going to look at that very briefly now. The point is that, I, that I've already made is that we do not place ourselves. I want to read to you just a portion of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 12, from the Message Bible. It's quite a long portion, so I'm going to read it fairly quickly. But I love the way Eugene Peterson puts this. Because he explains how the body is designed to work together. He says this from verse 12. You can, see, you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own physical body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial piecemeal lives. We each used, we each used to in, independency call... Excuse me. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into the large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, the fountain of his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek or slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. He goes on to say, I don't want to, for the sake of time, I want to encourage you, go and read that portion of Scripture. Carry on from 1 Corinthians 12 in the Message Bible. But he talks about the body, each part having its role to play. And if the ear decides, oh, you know, I'm not glamorous like the eye, is it, is it, is it, is it not necessary anymore? Can we just cast it off? Or if my toe decides it's not getting enough attention, he'd rather be up on my forehead. That would be awkward. That would be kind of weird, right? And he goes on to explain how every part in the body, 
the glamorous parts and the less glamorous parts. Your spleen is not a glamorous part of your body. I don't think you give it much thought, but you'd, you'd, you'd feel the effects of it if it wasn't doing what it was meant to be. We have many people in a body like this who, when they're not doing what they are gifted and, and called and assigned to do, the whole body feels it. Imagine you rocked up here this morning and everything was still locked up because Siobhan and Mishka decided to sleep in. Awkward. Don't think of it, Siobhan. Don't giggle. It's not funny. (laughs) Every Sunday, Mishka opens those windows and you look through them every Sunday without a second thought of who's opened them or who closes them afterwards. Most Sundays, I arrive, my stuff is set up and by the time I leave, it's gone. My wife calls them fairies, little fairies that come. We went on honeymoon, and every day we went out and we came back and the fairies had cleaned our place. And then we finished our honeymoon and we went home and we lost the fairies. They didn't come home with us. <laughs> these, little, these little things that seem so insignificant have a huge difference. I could have prepared the best sermon of my life, but if we're all standing outside and we're all sitting in the cold, in the rain, how do you think that's going to... Do you understand? This is the point of body, and God places us... You have a unique and a significant role to play in the body of Christ. God has set you as a person, individually, uniquely, right where he wants you. Because there's something he wants for you in that place, and there's also something he wants from you in that place. Here are three of the most life-defining discoveries that you and I can make. It'll set the trajectory for your life. Number one, to know whose you are. Number two is to know who you are in light of whose you are. And number three is to know who you're called to be you with. If you can answer those three questions, the other questions like what or where or how literally take care of themselves. We've got it really backwards today because even our youth, we train them to think, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? How are you going to do it? And we've elevated those to the most important questions we can ask in our life. Those actually all fall into place when I know whose I am, I know who I am, so I'm neither proud nor self-defaming. I'm humble. And I know who I'm called to be me with. I have my place of belonging. Within that space, within the greater context of that positioning and placement, I find my unique significance... I discover my gifting and calling and I become a blessing because I found a place to flourish and to be me. The what, the how, and the where then all take care of themselves. You see, in considering these things, it's important to remember that the kingdom of God is a relational kingdom, not a structural kingdom. Now, relationship leads to structure, but structure does not always lead to relationship. You get into a working environment, there will be a clear structure. You know who the supervisors, managers, CEOs are. There's structure, but that doesn't mean you have a relationship with them. God does not place us into churches as organizations. I want you to understand this. It's a vital part of finding your place within the body of Christ. It's not about what church you belong to. It's not about what denomination you belong to. It's about who is it that God has connected you with What relationships has God set you in? Because God doesn't use organizations to change lives. He uses people. 
And to do that, He sets you into a family. Now remember what family is. God will bring you into a relationship in which you can experience, or a group, a series of relationships in which you can experience unconditional love. The church should be the most welcoming place in the world, yet we've made it so many times the most judgmental place in the world. You can come and be a part of us if you look like this, if you sing like this, if you behave like this, if you believe like this. The church should be the most welcoming place. Not of all behaviors, granted. Not of all conduct, but of every single person. Jesus said this, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How was it? It wasn't by the fact that you have service. You will know that, people will know that you are my disciples because you have these wonderful services or because you do these miracles or because you sing these songs or because they can see you praying. God, Jesus said, the way that people will know that you are my disciples of my kingdom is that you have love one for another. Brings you into a place of belonging and safety with roles and responsibilities where there's structure and order as well as room for character development. And we all have a role to play in this regard. I want to read you a couple more scriptures. First of all, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, where Paul breaks this down and he starts talking about what it means to, what is the purpose? What, what is God's intention for you and I as members of this body? Ephesians 4, verse 11, he says this. He himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers... This is what we call the fivefold ministry gifts. And here is why we have these people among us. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. What is ministry? Simply service. <laughs> it's service. To equip people to serve one another and to serve the world around them. For the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith of the, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, well, perfect here means mature, whole, lacking nothing, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. These are lofty ambitions, wouldn't you say? What is the goal? To become like Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up. Say, grow up. The hallmark of a child is that they are engrossed in themselves. They are always aware of, is this fair? So-and-so got something and I didn't. They're always worried about what they are missing out on in their own personal well-being. The mark of an adult is that they've grown beyond that and they can see beyond themselves. And they realize that they do not exist for themselves and for their own pleasure to be served. But like Jesus, they say, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. That is a mark of maturity. And here they're saying that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. Now think about this. How are we joined and knit together? By what every joint supplies. Every joint has a contribution to make. According to the effective working by which every part does its share 
That is what causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see, we can see a clear order and purpose in what Paul does here. Now look, we can see that God has appointed special gift ministries that are there to protect, that are there to empower, that are there to train and ultimately release, to cover, to provide a home for, so that in turn every part finds its place and can become a blessing to the body, each one providing something unique and something different. You see, folks, it's important we understand this principle. Even though you and I have Jesus living inside of us, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God, that is not all we need. Many people think, oh, I've got Jesus, I can be an island, I don't need anybody else. God has placed everything that you will need to live this life for Him in His body. Powerful principle. What you need to fulfill your God-given mandate is not just the Word of God, it's not just Jesus inside of you. You need the body because God will not allow you to go and do this all on your own. This is not your show. It's His show. And what He does is He connects you relationally with those who carry what you need and who need what you carry. In my life, many years ago, God connected me with a man who carried what I need. A backbone, a lack of tolerance for excuses, an intolerance for excuses, and a firm hand, which is exactly what I needed. And at the same time, God connected to him somebody with a heart who just wanted to serve and be a blessing, which is exactly what he needed. 20 years ago, Dan. 20 years And what a blessing it's been to me. I found my place. I discovered whose I am. Whose I am. I discovered who I am. I discovered who I'm called to be me with. And in discovering all of these things, the trajectory of my life changed. I used to be in logistics. I found God's calling. I found the purpose that he had for me. And I get to walk in it every day. I would not have found that just on my knees with Jesus. I know that. Because before any of these things happened, I had Jesus. I needed that connection to take me to the next level, to take me beyond where I could get on my own. I didn't have the grace. I didn't have the maturity. None of us have it all. So God connects us with those who carry what we need. And in turn, he gives us the desire to serve them and give them what they need, which unlocks hearts. My heart was unlocked to his and his to mine, and that's how it works. This is how God connects us within the body. And in the same way that when your physical body is in order, when your physical body, everything's working well, everything is in alignment, you don't even know, it it just runs seamlessly, it works well. But dislocate something, or if there's a niggle somewhere, man, it affects the whole body. I want to wrap up. There's a few things I'm not going to be able to cover today for the sake of time because I also want to do communion this morning. So just give me a second. I just want to find my bearings here and decide where, how I'm going to close this one out.
All right, let's just focus on this idea of connection. As we come to communion, I want you to see something. As we've laid the principles out this morning that God connects us relationally to His body through Jesus Christ and to one another, and when those connections are healthy and functioning well and where everybody knows their place, the body is blessed and it works and it does what it's supposed to do. But when those connections are dislocated, when there's strife and envy in those connections, the whole body feels it. It is rendered useless. You can't, you know, if, you, if you've got a dislocated so- shoulder or a dislocated knee, you can't go and work, you can't go and do anything. You've got to sort that out first. It is understanding this that we see the power of the enemy strategy. His most effective weapon in your and my life is what? It's division. It's offense. It is to disconnect and dislocate us with those who carry what it is that we need to fulfill our destiny in Jesus Christ. It is to bring in things that cause me to envy, that cause me to be jealous, that cause me to be offended or upset with other people so that what I do is I separate myself from them. I'll go somewhere else. I don't want to deal with this. We don't change. We don't grow. It's an effective strategy, folks, and we've seen how it works, and we've seen it perhaps even in our own lives. Now, Paul tells us that if we're going to be the body of Jesus Christ, we need to understand what the body of Jesus means. It is not just, it is also, but it is not only the body of Jesus as it hung on the cross and, the, and, 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 and was bruised and beaten and pierced for you and for me. But His resurrected body now is made up of all of us. So when we come to communion, I want to read you a scripture now as we, as we come to the point of having communion together and understanding and celebrating what body is. He writes a message to the Corinthian church. It's important to understand the Corinthian church was flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Their worship series services were anointed. You know, it was people were cupping om left, right, and center. Gifts, prophecies, tongues, miracles were all taking place in the midst of them. But Paul says, you know what? You guys are actually so divided. You're so competing with one another. You'd actually be better blessed if you just stayed at home. Because you're acting like mere men. Where there's division and strife and envy among you, you're just acting like the world. Let's come back to understanding what the body of Christ is all about. And so later on in the letter, he says this to them, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to, 20, to 32. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, to be unworthy does not mean that you have to have no sin in your life. If you have no sin in your life, you don't need the communion, brother. This is all about forgiveness from sin, right? That's what the blood of Jesus is. It's the covenant of forgiveness. So what is he talking about? Let's carry on reading. Let each man examine himself so that he may eat and drink of the cup. For he who eats of the cup and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. What he's talking about is when you come and you want to have communion, the Greek word for communion is kinonia, togetherness. It's common, that which we have in common. And that, what is it that we all have in common? It is Jesus. It is that the, the, the significance of this covenant is what we all have in common. And based on this covenant, 
It is incumbent upon me, but not as an external thing. It is within my heart to love and respect each and every single one of you, to forgive each and every single one of you, and that we forgive and love one another, and to seek not my will first, but the benefit of others first. So Paul says, when you guys are coming together, you're making a mess. Each one is in this for himself. Some people are coming, they're arriving, they haven't got any food to eat. You've been here, you already had so much, you drunk. What an embarrassment. He said, no. Wait for one another. Consider one another. Love one another. And so we're going to take a moment this morning before we come to partake of the body and the blood of Jesus to consider this warning. That when we tolerate schisms, when we tolerate offenses, when we tolerate within our own hearts hurts and pains aimed and directed at other people, that is what it means to not rightly discern the body of Christ. So as we together, let's just bow our heads for a moment and say, Father, I want to thank you today that you have placed each and every one of us in the body as you pleased. You have a unique position for every one of us to be loved, to be accepted, to be corrected, and to grow and mature. A place where we can show love, sow forgiveness and mercy, and be a blessing to those around us. Lord, this morning as we come to the covenant table, the covenant of your forgiveness for everything that we have done wrong, Lord, where there are areas in our heart this morning where we are carrying offenses, where we are carrying hurts that we allow to linger, where we are carrying strife with our brother and sister, Lord, we want to ask you now to first of all forgive us for this. And Lord, we want to release and let go of these things. If there's something in your heart, I want to give you just a minute to say, to let go. If there are things in your heart that you're holding on to. And maybe as the Lord breathes over your heart now, you know that after the service, you may have to go and make restitution with somebody. You may have to go and reach out to somebody and, and make right. You may have to take all the blame because it doesn't matter whose fault it was to make right with your brother and sister. But this is the moment where the actual work gets done. So if there's anything in your heart right now, I want to encourage you, release it to the Lord. Forgive. Allow it to be laid down at the feet of Jesus so that we can look at our brother and sister with his love, without any malice, without any unforgiveness in our heart. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.